Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. I'm going to be starting a new segment called Unpacking Bikepacking. And the goal is going to be to make it a, a monthly thing where I can share my thoughts and insights into various bikepacking related subjects. Um, throughout the episodes, I plan to share about my personal journey through planning and training, uh, talk about the gear I've been experimenting with, discuss resources or kit I've come across that I think would be of interest to people, talk about my own bikepacking setup and any changes I've made, review something I've been using, and of course, share my two cents on current interest topics or opinions, and finally talk about my triumphs and failures. So I hope you enjoy the segment, and if you have any questions, comments, or ideas, please reach out and let me know. So I guess diving right in, um, um, talking about planning and training. So I have to be really honest here and say I have no real training plan at the moment. Last year, I was using a coach uh, just to make a kind of um, personalized training plans. And it went really well until January. And then things kind of fell apart with COVID and getting the flu. And, uh, and of course, baby and all those things. Um, I was back at work. It was just really hard to manage it all. And I don't feel like I really kept to it. So I'm actually currently trying to decide on what my plan will be this year um, through the winter. I just had this feeling of not being able to get it done. And that kind of sucked. Like it was kind of a drag because even though it wasn't overly expensive and I thought it was a good investment when you're just not achieving it, it kind of feels like a bummer. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I just don't want to have that mental feeling again, I guess. So I need to just kind of figure out. Um, Yeah. So I'm looking into some things and hopefully I'll get all that rolling in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I can give you a better update uh, next month. Yeah, it's also been really difficult to plan rides this year. So we had a huge summer of travel as a family. Uh, my wife was, we were reuniting with my wife's fan, family in Turkey. So she's not from Turkey. She's from Iran, but we decided to all meet up in Turkey. And uh, that was the first time she's seen them in four years. So it was really important for her. And uh, I didn't get any biking in there. And it's Probably if I had brought a bike, I wouldn't have anyways because it was like 40 degrees every day. It was a ridiculous heat wave going through Europe and it was like next level hot. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was really important for me to be a little bit more present in something that was super important to my wife. And uh, of course, I went to Japan to meet up with my son after also quite a few years. And um, 
I did bring a bike, but it was mostly just for commuting around. And um, there was no real training. There was no ra- training rides at all on it, uh, but that's okay. And of course, now I'm pre- splitting wood and preparing for winter and I have to modify my maple syrup boiler. So before the snow comes and uh, so these things always come up in the fall and say la vie, right? So it's it's hard to, to figure out a training plan, but <clears throat> um. Yeah, I have started to commute and stuff, so I think I'll talk about that later, and that's that's helping me out as well, just to to get some miles under the belt. And of course, it's also time to start preparing for the Canadian Shield Bikepacking Summit 2024. So um, I have so many good ideas, and there's been so much great feedback from people from the last summit that I, I want to make this thing uh, truly remarkable, and uh, hopefully that'll happen. Yeah, so that is that is my whole training or lack thereof thing. Something I've been experimenting with, I should say. Uh, this year, I I changed uh, my bike to a Panorama Taiga, but I opted to to invest a little bit of cash on top of that and get a high quality front suspension setup. Uh, previously, I'd been riding rigid and uh, or with just with a shock stop stem from Redshift, which eats up a lot of road chatter and stuff, but definitely doesn't provide the amount of suspension you would love when you're riding single track and uh, punishing your body. Um, So I opted to get the Fox Factory 34 uh, with 120 mils of suspension. So it's set to 120 mils, I should say. And one thing I found is it's really, really uh, relieves a lot of pressure on my wrists. I've always had a little bit of wrist pains and aches and stuff, uh, maybe from falling on snowboards too much when I was younger. But now with uh, with proper suspension, it just eats it up, as you well know, if you're a mountain biker. And if you don't know, uh, now you know. It really, really is a game changer. So um, <clears throat> I was flying down the hills when I did the Canadian Shield 400. I was going down faster than I've, I've ever hit some of those trails, and I've hit them a lot of times. And um, I felt really good. I, I felt like I was biting in really well. It also helps that the bike has a dropper post so I could get my center of gravity nice and low. But um, yeah, man, that front suspension was just rolling over things that I could never, ever consider doing that before. With a little bit of a weight penalty, front suspension will give you. You know, I can see why people want to ride fully rigid a lot. But um, it depends, you know. I mean, there's a few races out there now where people have been setting records on full suspension bikes. And, uh, it goes to show that, um, the weight is not necessarily the, the killer in the long game. You know, obviously if you have a ton of excess weight on your bike, including, uh, like me at a 90 kilos, um, or 200 pounds, there's definitely issues, but, um, the weight of one kilogram extra for a suspension stem or uh, suspension fork is not going to be the end of the day. So yeah, that's been something I've been really working, trying out and getting used to. And I used to have a hardtail mountain bike with front suspension, but it wasn't a very good one. And this is like definitely, definitely way higher end and feels really good. So super stoked about this bike. A couple interesting things I've come across or wanted to share with you. One thing I've been using for about the last year is the B-Rad Double Bottle Adapter by Wolftooth. I've had quite a few people look at my bike and go, wow, how do you have two bottles on there and this and that? And I'm thinking like, oh, I thought everybody knew about Wolftooth. 
But if you don't, Wolftooth makes a ton of components. Um, you know, everything from colored accessories to, to make your bike stand out to, to really innovative things like the double bottle adapter. So it gives, it allows me to put two bottles side by side in a, in the frame, which is particularly useful on the Panorama Taiga because it doesn't have a huge triangle. And, um, so even when I'm on a bikepacking event or something, I have lots of water access right there. And, um, Unless you're somebody who's really like, what do we call it? Bow-legged? No, bow-legged, the other one. I don't know. Anyways, where your knees come in a lot and they're knocking really close to the to the frame of the bike, you probably won't be hitting your bottles, but, you know, there's there's always a chance that you do. So it's definitely something worth in trying out. They're, they're not particularly expensive. I think it was $36 from the Wolftooth website. I'm not sure if that's American or Canadian, but... Overall, not a huge, huge investment for something that's so simple and just such a game changer. Uh, another really cool piece of kit I've come across of actually through my buddy Carl because he ordered it and he put it on his touring bike. So when he goes on planes and stuff, when he takes off the handlebars, the fork doesn't just fall right off the bike. It is a locking headset spacer and that's made by Problem Solver. So they're another really cool component company that makes a little gizmos widgets should we say that uh will just make your life easier as a biker so very cool stuff um they don't have a huge distribution network here in canada so sometimes it's a bit of a pain but they do have some shops that distribute it and probably you can find a lot of those things on amazon but um yeah it's a very cool little spacer it's 12 bucks and when you lock it on it stops your fork from dropping so that's really neat when I got the Panorama Taiga, I mean, I am, I do have a dynamo on my carbon dirt hoops uh, by Curve. So they have a dynamo built in on them, but I didn't set my light up on my Panorama Taiga. Uh, previously on the Chiru divider, I, I did have the dynamo light set up on it. And I just found a lot of times when I got into the trails going uphill and stuff, the light was much dimmer because obviously you're going slowly up hills and the shadows it casts made it really hard to 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 navigate rocks and roots and things as you're climbing. So I've decided to go with a, um, what do you call it? A battery powered light. And uh, so I've got a new one on order now and I've been using a Fenix for a little bit. Um, having some issues with the Fenix one, unfortunately, and I'm sending it in for warranty or to have it checked out. So either I'm going to get a new one of those or I'll have it refunded. Um, we'll see. So the dynamo on the bike will be hooked up to charge power banks and stuff and just running as a constant, but then I'll just use normal lights at night when I'm riding and worst come to worst, I just plug in the dynamo, I uh, plug in the power bank and give it a fresh boost, right? Another thing, uh, as you well know, I'm sponsored by Redshift Sports and I've used a lot of their different products over the last couple of years. And uh, I just recently got the kitchen sink loop handlebar. So when I was getting my Katadin by Panorama, I decided I want to put the loop handlebar on and not to run arrow bars all the time. I definitely probably still put arrow bars on it if I were going to be doing uh a big bikepacking, gravel-esque bikepacking event. But for the most part, I'm just doing normal riding these days on the gravel bike and, you know, 100 miles and stuff like that, or 100 kilometers and whatnot. 
And I don't think I need big arrow bars on it. So I'm testing out the kitchen sink loop handlebar. And I was really lucky that they also sent me the bag with a Garmin mount. And I just think that bag is the cat's ass. Man, it's great. So it fits right in there with four Velcro straps. But the bag can be opened single-handedly. So there's just two little zippers on one on either side. And it's a magnetic closure on the other end. And so it just flips up and you have access to it. And there's also a, a zip around on the bottom that can pop down and raise your capacity from, I think, 0.75 liters to one liter. And I could tell you it's pretty sweet right now. I have a pair of seven mesh overpants, like the really thin ones. I forget what they're called, but that you just put over your bibs when it's cooler out. I have those stuffed in there as well as a pair of arm warmers and my wind jacket, uh, my Monton windbreaker, whatever you call it, cycling jacket. I don't know what they call them. Anyways, uh, I have all those things stuffed in there and it's awesome, man. It's, it fits it all and I don't have to carry it in my back pockets. Like what more could you want? And yeah, it doesn't bounce or anything. The Garmin sits there. It's locks in really well. Loving it so far. I've only had a dozen or so rides with it as I've just started my commuting experiments with it and had it up in the Gatineau Park a few times, but so far the the loop is great, um, especially if you're using the cruise control drop and top bar grips um, by Redshift, because they make the whole tops of the the handlebars quite a bit wider and comfortable. And so if you're on the loop, then your elbows can just kind of sit there. But I think that Redshift has got some armrest pads in the works somehow. Uh, I'm waiting to find out about that. And uh, it would be really cool if they designed something that then you can uh, just have your arms resting on that and they're minimalistic out of the way. Maybe, uh, I don't know how they do it to avoid your knees and stuff, but it'd be really cool. So, yeah. Well, fat bike season's just around the corner. I was going to talk about the fat bike I've been using for the last year, but I think I don't want you guys to think I'm only talking about panorama gear, even though it's so much new that's new to me right now. And um uh, I want this to be authentic at the same time as not make it feel like I'm stuffing things down your throat. So I'm going to hold out a month on that one and uh, talk about something else. So the uh, the piece of gear I'm going to talk about this uh, this month is actually something I've really, really, really dug. Um, it's the Ergon SR All Road Core Pro Seat uh, or saddle, as you may wish to call it. Just like many people out there, I constantly struggle trying to find the right seat for me. I think I fairly easily get saddle sores. It's something I'm working through, trying to experiment and figure out what is the best saddle out there for me. To give you a sense of what I've used previously, I have a Brooks B17 Imperial leather saddle. The Imperial has that carve out in the middle to alleviate pressure on the perineum and um for men of help avoid uh, penis problems <laughs> for the most part works really well. I still get um, saddle sores a bit, uh, especially after like 200 kilometers from there. I tried out the C 17 thinking, Hey, maybe this will be the one, maybe this will be perfect. And I felt it worse. Um, not so much saddle sores, but chafing. It caused me to have like chafe line right down the middle and uh, not very comfortable. So definitely worse than the the b17 and i mean obviously it's person to person right like finding a seat is really really hard 
Um, I had heard great things about the Ergon one. I was looking for the SMC Core, uh, all whatever it's called, SMC Core Pro, whatever, whatever. Um, but there's a huge shortage, and it's hard to find them here in Canada, and I'd have to order it from Europe and pay shipping. And at the same time, I wanted to order from Brockton. They support me on the podcast and give me a little bit better pricing, but also I like to you know, to get my products from them if I can, and I couldn't get it. So I decided to go with the SR All-Road Core Pro, which would ultimately become the gravel bike seat if I could get the SMC and put it on the mountain bike. But currently it's sitting on the mountain bike because I've been riding it more. Super comfortable, really comfortable seat. Um, not to say it's, uh, not to say I haven't had any issues. I still get little saddle sores, but nothing major, which is great. Um, it's really, really nice um in terms of just absorbing road chatters the way it's designed with its i think it's three layers of um anyways yeah it's designed to to basically smooth out the rough stuff on a tarmac of course it's not made for it's not going to smooth out like single track riding but does a really good job of absorbing that with its uh polyurethane basf infinity material which is a thermoplastic polyurethane or ETPU, which consists of thousands of tiny foam particles. It's effectively a filter which helps to mute the bad vibes before they hit your butt. A bit like wearing noise-canceling headphones in a noisy environment. There you go. That's uh, something from a review commentary I read. Anyways, yeah, super cool. I've been very impressed. Basically, enough to say that my butt is appreciative of it. Uh, the nose is a little bit shorter on it, so the nose design on the saddle is not quite as long as some other saddles. Uh, if you're somebody who likes really long saddles, it probably might not be as good for you. I wear it. I use a size small, medium. I mean, you got to really have to measure your sit bones, and I did the the old one where you put two pieces of cardboard on top of each other, so there's a little more absorption. Then give it there a sit and give it a little lean left, lean right a bit, and then measure between the marks. And um, yeah, so I fit into a, typically a small medium saddle. So maybe that's why the B17 and them haven't been perfect. Maybe if I'd have gone with a B15 or 13, who knows? And maybe I'll still experiment one of these days, but saddle experiments are expensive. That's the problem. Saddle experiments are not cheap. Uh, so right now, been super happy. I know uh, Corey Ostertag, well, he's a... He's, uh, sponsored by Ergon, but he's been using their stuff as well and uh he keeps talking it up as well so um you know bear that in mind he's sponsored but he's got it on all his bikes and he does ultra distance bike pack racing and you know that he's out there to be comfortable as well so if it wasn't good for him he definitely wouldn't use it before continuing on with the show i'd like to thank panorama cycles for sponsoring this podcast Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chickshocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. 
by using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah, so I guess a little bit on opinions or hot takes on trending topics. The the biggest, newest news I can think of is, and it's probably pretty well known right now, is that Lachlan Morton finished the Tour Divide uh, ITT, Individual Time Trial. And for those of you that don't know, the Tour Divide is 4,297 kilometers. And he did that in 12 days, 12 hours, 21 minutes, which is more than a day faster than the previous record set by Mike Hall. So it is the fastest time ever. However, he is getting an asterisk beside his name because he had a media crew present. I, you know, I think it's, that's a tough one for me because the Tour Divide has so many videos and they had so many racers that have raced it with media crews and none of them uh, have ever been told that they weren't allowed having a media crew with the exception of Lael Wilcox because her partner was one of the media people and then they told her she could have a media crew so long as she had no interaction with her partner or now it's now her wife I should say so find it funny that they would put an asterisk but hey I'm not the race director and the one who manages that website and everything and confirms and checks over everything so his decision and we just stick by it. But either way, eh, no matter what, how we call it, uh, pretty awesome. For those that are wondering what he was using, he was using a Cannondale Scalpel High Mod Ultimate Hardtail. So they do make a, a full suspension version and the hardtail version. Now, this is not a cheap bike. This is a 14000 US dollar bike. It's pretty sick. I was looking at I was looking at it online just to get a better sense of it. And I was pretty blown away. Like, I mean, it even has a thing by the front wheel that helps, uh, like in built in magnets and stuff for calculating your speed and all these things. And it'll even tell you when you need to do tune ups on your front forks and stuff based on mileage you've been riding and whatnot. So that's, it's really cool. Another really cool thing is he didn't do it in the traditional bike packing, packing, if that makes sense, way. He used a tail fin rear rack with a top bag and micro panniers and even had micro panniers on the front of his bike and uh, I'm actually going to flip to the page I had open so I could look through what he had um, oh sorry he didn't have any on the front of the bike he had two micro panniers on the back he had a aero pack bag which is a prototype 20 liter bag on the back uh, two tail fin 10 liter mini panniers as I mentioned a Aeropack carbon rear rear rack, which is a pretty sweet thing. A prototype 1.1 liter top tube bag, and also two tail fin three liter down tube packs. Not sure where those were, but anyways, somewhere. And also a custom frame bag. So he was definitely carrying more than the average person who is out there racing something like this. I think if we were to compare what he's carrying to what Sofian carried this year, it's, it's a significant difference. 47.1 liters apparently capacity, but I think it's got to be more than that because I don't see anything about his frame bag. So, yeah. Some of the very cool facts about this, though, is that obviously he was able to carry everything he could want or need. He had extra space for food and water so that... Um, 
in the sections where it's very desert like he could carry the amount needed without having to struggle to find how to strap things on and obviously you could get access stuff really quickly all you had to do is know which bag it's in and one of the biggest hates i have with a seat post bag is once you stuff it full you gotta take every single thing out basically to get to the stuff at the bottom where a top two bag is much more accessible you can just shove things aside and whatnot yeah in case you guys are wondering what he was carrying wearing whatnot um just looking at a article here in one of his panniers he had a down jacket a rain jacket rain pants and two pairs of bib shorts had a hydration bladder as well as a soft flask and a first aid kit in the second pannier he had a rain jacket short sleeve undershirt long sleeve undershirt arm warmers leg warmers gloves oh he had a small dry bag for dry clothes eye mask so he could fall asleep easily sunglasses and a cowbell somebody gave him on the route the rack pack he has apparently oversized sleeping gear he had a big sleeping bag with goose down to minus uh, that would go down to minus 15 degrees celsius so no sleeping pad required because it was so thick uh super light rei bivy chain lube water filter there it is in his frame bag he had that's where he kind of carried all his uh accessories like battery packs a 26,000 milliamp battery and a 20,000 as a backup. So that's like much bigger than a lot of people would carry. And I think the idea there was he knew he has the power. I mean, he's a pro racer and he knew that as long as he got his sleep and recovery time, he was going to be good to go. He had a walls charger for USB, a spare Wahoo GPS, just in case something happened when he was using a headlamp, a battery charger for his wireless shifting and front light batteries extra ones <clears throat> cables as well in the lower section oh that was the top section of his frame bag in the lower section he had a foldable backpack chamois cream sunscreen toothpaste brush in the side pocket passport and spare spokes so lots of stuff he had a down tube pack at the bottom you know the ones that go almost down uh, by the crank and in there that's where he had his tools and stuff he had two tubes, two CO2 canisters, tire repair kit, chain repair kit, volley straps that he didn't need to use, and other spare things like AXF shifter battery, spare headphones, brake pads, derailleur hanger, spoke tool, things like that. Other bags, he had a down tube pack, three liters, oh, that's where it was, connected to the aero bars, and it was mostly used for snacks, and apparently could fit 16 to 17 candy bars. And then he had a top tube 1.1 liter prototype bag, which was also used for food, multi-tool, pocket knife, scissors, and rubbish storage. So he had a lot of stuff. I mean, that's that's obviously the, the fact. Um, and it really goes to kind of show, and this is why I thought it's a really great topic. We've come to this conclusion that in bike pack racing for a while, it was, you know, pack as little as you can, which I'm I'm super, super guilty of. A lot of times pack as little as you can sleep as little as you can and uh, just suffer and go with it and Lachlan here on this ride averaged 12 hours sleep in every 48 hours that means six hours a night <clears throat> and or maybe that's total stop time no I think it was sleep time um, or maybe it's stop time anyways he let's say he didn't ride 12 hours out of every 48 hours. Um, 
he also carried more than people typically think about when they're thinking of something like raising a tour divide for the FKT. And he made it happen. I mean, bear in mind, he's a superhero, superhuman cyclist that most of us out there, the vast majority of us could never, ever hope to be able to ride like this guy. But uh, it does go to show how different people have different concepts and uh, they all can work, which is really neat. Anyways, yeah, enough about that. Wild ideas, bucket list goals. I mean, I do want to go race the uh, Silk Road Mountain Race at the end of a summer, some year. I don't know when. Definitely, it would have to be well thought out and planned so I could actually get the right amount of training in for the year before, including some events throughout the, the season building up to it. One thing I'm fairly certain of is it should happen before Jasmine is done with daycare and is a school student because until then she has daycare paid for in the summer. I mean, we're paying for daycare. So uh, if I do it before she starts school, then it's easy. My Well, easier, I should say. Nothing's easy. My wife still has to bring her to daycare, pick her up for daycare and do all those things. But I think it's a better compromise time. So that is one of my ultimate goals uh, and wish wishes. Uh, it also works out really well as a teacher because it does take place in August. So it's manageable. I'm back to school in September all the time. Yeah, so that's uh, that's the thought there. Uh, what's the last thing? Um, well, not the last thing, but triumphs and setbacks, big and small. Um, you know, this year has been really full of setbacks and triumphs, I guess. So I kind of listed them like that. My first setback this summer was that I traveled for five weeks, which although it was really awesome and I had planned to do some running and body weight workouts. Uh, unfortunately, Turkey and Japan were both wicked hot and it just didn't happen. So I really felt like my conditioning went down the drain. I I know I have the muscle memory there so I, I can push through things and, um, and, and still achieve somewhat towards the goals I'd like, but definitely definitely struggled to to keep up that conditioning you know and, and it takes a long time to build conditioning and in a summer like that you can lose a lot if you don't train properly or continue and so i have a lot of work to do this year however it did follow up with this triumph on my grand depart in september i did set the new fkt on the canadian shield 400 uh finishing in 34 hours 35 minutes and taking off i think just under two hours off of Megan's time. So unlike Megan, who went and rode blisteringly fast on the log driver's while setting a new core record and stuff, like just a few days after riding my route, I basically had immense leg pain for the rest of the week as I've recovered. And uh, there is no way in hell I could have gone and rode an 800 kilometer route. So, I mean, I had to push it to my limits. I know I could have done better had I been more conditioned. But, you know, that's part of life. And I know that Megan was out on a training ride prior to doing the log driver's waltz and also wasn't pushing it to her limits, clearly. And uh, so, yeah, grain of salt. <laughs> uh, next setback, I... It's not a major setback, but the next, next setback, setback is now that I work just in one school, I, I had the idea that I would start by commuting the 24 kilometers to work unfortunately i i do have to be involved with my daughter's life uh i mean unfortunately fortunately and unfortunately and part of that is doing my part and either dropping her off or picking her up from daycare so that plan went to shit however 
the triumph on the tail end of that is that I decided that having to drop off my daughter at daycare shouldn't be an excuse to not ride my bike. It's a little bit far maybe to take her to daycare in the mornings, especially now. Maybe next year that's more doable. It's not that far. It's like less than, it's like 10 kilometers. For now, I'm just throwing the bike on the roof of my car, obviously on the rack. I drive her to daycare, park nearby and ride the last 14 kilometers to work. So yeah, two benefits. One of them is uh, it's not so far, so I could potentially continue this commute all winter by using the fat bike or putting uh, studded tires on the gravel bike. And uh, yeah, since I have the car nearby and it's not too far, I can also pick her up from daycare after work. And it just gives my wife a little bit of a break, right? So she doesn't have to worry about getting her to daycare or from daycare and thereby earns me brownie points for biking later. So when I do need to go for a ride or get away, I can be like, come on, this is what I do, you know? And throw me a bone kind of thing. And uh, hopefully that'll be, uh, that'll all work out to to my favor when the time comes. But uh, actually it's really no, no hassle for me to pick her up as well because the car's nearby. So it doesn't make sense for my wife to, to go out of her way to, to go get the baby. Um, any upcoming plans for me? Um, obviously going to commute as much as possible. I, I'm going to slowly start preparing for colder riding. So I'm realizing that I don't have all the gear I need ready. Um, I have drop bar pogies, which are great. Got the gloves, the toe covers, shoe covers, all that stuff is ready. I need some new thermal bibs. Uh, the ones I've been using like jogging, like outdoor winter running pants that go over my bib shorts for the last few years, but they're ripping. So they got a big hole in the crotch and, uh, they're pretty much done. And I, of course I need a, a possibly consider getting a better cold winter, cold weather jacket for riding and um, maybe mounting the studded tires on the road bike or the gravel bike. So I have to decide on that. Also, another thing I'm considering is getting into some longer rides after work. So my wife can pick up Jasmine some days and I can get out and do a Maybe try and get out for three, four hours and just come home in time to put her to bed or to see her off to sleep and uh, thereby, you know, get a get a workout in. Anyways, yeah, that's uh, that is the first episode of Unpacking Bikepacking. And let me know what you think. It's it's hard for me to judge it, to, to have a sense of what people think about it or not or what they like or don't like or what they want changed. I try to make a few notes on topics to talk about and yeah, I, I hope uh, through my experiences that you gain something and definitely if you guys have uh, things you'd like to share, please reach out. I'm all ears. Anyways, on that note, uh, that is it. Keep on pedaling and uh, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. 
And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.